I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. podcast for November 1st, 2013, and today we are talking about magic. So in some of our recent episodes, uh, we've uh, kind of mentioned magic just in passing uh, and maybe laughed a little bit, and you might be wondering, why are they laughing about that? Um, I even mentioned an in-joke kind of <laughs> in the last episode, so we thought we'd talk about it, bring it out in the open, um, because, you know, just in general, magic, I don't know what the per- average person on the street thinks of when you say um, magic. Um, do you believe in magic? Or, you know, like a lot of times it's the kind of illusionist kind of um, thing, but uh, in religious studies, magic has um, is really a... a interesting broad topic yeah i think in the context of religion on and the, and the person on the street you, you would probably assume that that person has a sort of equation in their mind between magic and superstition ah that's one aspect right yeah right. where i mean you know magic as like you know houdini or whatever those are tricks that are sleight of hand that can be learned and um there's not a presumption that they're um, what do you mean <laughs> I'm going to push through. (laughs) But actually, that's interesting because, yeah, even like the illusionist kind of magic, the assumption is it's a trick. Yeah. It's not what's really happening. We're being tricked here. Right, right, right. Right? And so that's kind of interesting, the connection with that. Yeah. But I think that superstition. Yeah, but I think the word magic in a religious studies context usually has to do with the ability of particular rituals or performances to have some sort of effect on the physical world. Mm through a spiritual supernatural medium mm-hmm. which is really interesting yeah. because religious studies <clears throat> also um classically is seen as being very protestant kind of yeah and i, I, I but and, and i think this is exactly why we have this idea in our heads that there's something about magic and superstition because right. um the protestant uh, perspective explicitly rejects the idea of superstition and yeah. goes for a more uh, rational view of things. Right. And some of our listeners might be like, what are you talking about? Right, Scott? Right, Protestant right. Christians are all about faith. This is nothing to do with faith. This has right. to do with... Uh, faith um, is religion. Right. This has to do with a rejection on the part of Protestants to uh, the efficacy of Catholic ritual. Um, and even more and then, so... And then I'm fast-forwarding several hundred years into the present when secular religious studies get started um, that grows out of this sort of cultural context that um, is infused with um, uh, post-Enlightenment era Western philosophy, which rejects faith and superstition in general and embraces science and reason. So magic, superstition, ritual, all this stuff gets relegated into, um, you know, things that don't really, that aren't really real and, and, you know, whatever, versus, you know, true spirituality or reason or whatever else that is yeah or science right so that's that's wow i just like summed up my entire fall semester class right there (laughs) two minutes we won't play this one until after it's done (laughs) (laughs) and there's also the idea of um a hierarchy of 
um, understandings of the world with quote unquote primitive cultures having yes. a ma- having magic, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, the West or whatever having religion, right. right? And then when they look at other religions, is this a religion of magic and superstition, or does this religion share something with Christianity or with with you know this true what our what our understanding of what religion really is, right. which is very belief oriented, faith oriented, possibly, um, you know, yeah. we want so we want to be too um, right. So then but. we throw Buddhism into this mix, and I right. think that when Buddhism enters the modern era, and when Buddhism comes into contact with Western cultures, um, uh, non Asian sympathizers target those aspects of Buddhism that coincide with their desire for a religion of reason Mm -hmm. or coincide with their um, prejudices against superstition or ritual or magic. Um, And Asian Buddhist proselytizers, for lack of a better word, um, notice that and you know, intentionally or otherwise downplay the ritual aspects of the tradition in order to make the religion more appealing to right. potential converts, mm-hmm. thus creating what I think is arguably today a situation where Buddhism is generally believed to be a religion that doesn't have any ritual, a religion that doesn't have any magic, a religion that um, is a uh, reason, you know, oftentimes people who don't, who first come into, you know, who first have an interest in Buddhism will say, oh, Buddhism isn't a religion, it's, it's a philosophy, right. or religion is a way of life, and they want to distance themselves from anything that has to do with faith or superstition or ritual or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm here to tell you that's all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're on fire. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, part of me, while we're talking about this, I'm like, why are we talking about this? People are going to be listening to this. I'm like, what the heck started this one? But as you kept talking, I realized, no, this totally has so much to do with how Buddhism is perceived, yeah, yeah. how Buddhism is Understood how it's practiced, um, how it's portrayed, uh, and you know there's still a lot of um, in the general media, maybe especially it's portrayed in um, from this perspective yeah, yeah, yeah. of you know that Buddhism is this kind of rational religion, blah blah blah. Yeah, and I and I kind of want to. I, I remember now when we first had this crazy idea to talk about magic. Some of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it, and there's a couple of things that I kind of want to pick on, and one is pick up on, not pick on. Um, a couple of things I want to talk about would be uh, this idea of ritual, but also um, whether or not magic is real, uh, <laughs> which is a, might be a funny thing to say, but I'll, I'll get to that. But the first one has to do with ritual, and I think that in, um, in certain corners of the Western world, um, I think precisely because of this sort of inheritance of a, a Protestant Christian way of looking at religion, Ritual is assumed to be bad. Mm-hmm. Ritual is something that we're not supposed to do, we're not supposed to engage in. Um, and I think that that's a narrow understanding of, relig- of ritual on the, on, the, on the one hand, but also that, you know, I really like ritual. Um, I think ritual is actually really important, and I think that there's um, something about humanity, not just humanness, but humanity in terms of you know the way that, that, that humans have become social creatures that is really reliant upon ritual. I think that we are um, very ritualized people um, in, in general. And you know, it's not necessarily for any sort of religious or super, supernatural or magical reason. Um, we can talk about ritual from a purely sociological or anthropological point of view, but we can also just sort of recognize that there's lots of ritual in our lives. Um, you know, how many of us celebrate um, Christmas every year, even if we have no interest whatsoever in either Christianity or the capitalist machine that drives Christmas in this country, <laughs> we still engage in this uh, ritualized act of gift giving 
um, for other reasons that might be you know explicit or implicit, um, and it provides meaning in our lives in a sort of a way of marking the passage of time and creating family and all these kinds of things that I think are very important and very valuable. And you know, like don't like just dismiss ritual as not important. Um, I think ritual can be very, very important um, on, a, on a social level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see, um, uh, I think even like within BCA, to be very specific about um, Jodo Shinshu, well, not even BCA, let's just say Shin Buddhism, there's an aspect of Shinran that seems to reject ritual. Right. right. I mean, it's interesting that a lot of these dynamics actually have play out in the Buddhist side, mm-hmm. possibly post-contact with the West, possibly pre Right of um, the efficacy of ritual, right? And yeah, does ritual work? Mm-hmm. And we need to acknowledge that a lot of Buddhist rituals, whether it's Tendai or Shingon or um, other countries, right? A lot of times Buddhist ritual is supposed to manipulate the world, right? And that it's supposed to be done in order to bring power to the state, protect the state, um, try to um, change um, the weather or whatever, right? Yeah. Buddhism does have that stuff. It has some ritual, has some sort of efficacy. Yeah, and personal protection too. Right. That you can have a, um, a like a goma a fire ritual performed in order to protect yourself for the next year or whatever. And that there's an interesting culture of exchange there where you go to the temple and give money. They perform the ritual and you get benefit, right? Um, health, healing, kind of mm-hmm. stuff too. Absolutely, in Shingon Buddhism, and um, I even witnessed. I think we've talked before. I witnessed a healing ritual and at a Shingon temple in Japan. Did it work? Um, I don't know. I left before I finished because I realized I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, <laughs> so I bet it didn't work and you messed it up. Yeah. Well, I was worried after. I was kind of thinking, I hope I didn't, you know, ruin the efficacy of the ritual. Right, right, right. Because um, rituals need... have to be done in a very particular kind of right. way. Otherwise, the they don't mantras work. pronounced right. correctly. And um, I wasn't the only one there. So they just need better signage. Um, but, but interesting. And, and so Shinran, in his writings, can kind of be read as rejecting ritual. And that's certainly, sutra yeah, chanting. and that's definitely how um, he's interpreted at different times later on, both pre and post the, um, you know, I mean, the tradition sort of interprets other, anyway, go on. <laughs> well, I think a lot of times when people come to Shinran from not having grown up in a temple community, that's how they read them. I did, uh-huh. certainly, right? And, um, and that fits, that fits a kind of American Protestant view of whether you're Protestant or not, that's not the point, right? But yeah, this yeah. kind of American view of, yeah, ritual is just going through the motions. It, it, it's, it's not sincere. Um, it's what we're thinking. It's, it's how I live my life that's important, right? And so I think that's definitely a kind of a one uh, viewpoint that many Americans have, myself included, not yeah. so much now, but previously, yeah. when I first started getting interesting in the, interested in this stuff. The reality is, Shin Buddhists since Shinran have totally been into ritual and have been performing rituals very similar to what you know other schools were doing, um, but I believe they've been reinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need to so we need to acknowledge that there is an aspect of Buddhism of like chanting sutras, for example, brings merit or virtue, right? Kudoku is a Japanese term. Um, and so that, uh, and so that Mahayana idea of we do good things, we generate this good merit, but don't use it for ourselves. We then transfer it to others. Magic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> interesting, huh? 
Yeah, that's a basic Mahayana idea, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Of of and Buddhist idea, I think, of that the good that you do generates merit that is allows you to continue on the path. But then, if you just keep it for yourself, you don't have the right attitude. The right attitude is generate that merit and then give it to others. Sure, and and I, and I think that's magic. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it has I'm, a magical being, element to it. I'm being snarky um, in part because it raises. I think that 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 sort of philosophical or doctrinal point of view raises questions about the mechanism by which that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is merit? How do you transfer merit? They never talk what about effect it, like, does yeah. that merit transference have on other people? Mm-hmm. You know, like, these are sort of important questions, you know, and, yeah. and this is not something that's just happening in, in a Shin community, obviously. I mean, every, well, uh, Shin not Shin. everybody, you know, but a, 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 a large number of uh Community practices that I've I've been involved with, regardless of the tradition, will end it with you know they'll chant a sutra or they'll do a meditation and they'll say okay at the end of it let's transfer the merit to benefit all beings or something like that right and it's like this is part of the thing right we transfer merit well what does that mean and and how would you describe that um, the word magic came up for me earlier this year in um, uh, one of our students' work um, because he was looking at uh, dharma transmission in the Zen tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dharma transmission is this idea of some original enlightenment experience passed from the Buddha down to a disciple and then subsequent generations throughout time. Um, well, wh- well what, what is that? What is this, this transmission of an enlightenment experience, right? And, you know, I'm not by any means an expert on that. And this is something that the Zen tradition has, has I'm sure, talked about and debated about and written about for hundreds of years. So I don't want to oversimplify it. Um, at the same time, you know, there's a certain ritual that goes on that confers Dharma transmission from master to disciple or from teacher to student. Um, and that ritual has some sort of implied, implicit power. That ritual is supposed to signify something. Um, whether Signify or make it happen. There's a difference there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To I know. signify I'm, means that something happened. I am making a very, I'm choosing my words very no, carefully here, sir. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. To signify something means to, it's, it's, well, signify doesn't necessarily mean that it made it happen. Signifying in this sense simply means that the ritual is, is uh, pointing toward something else. It is okay. a representation okay. of that, right? In the, way, in the same way that language signifies meaning, right? Language, um, the words themselves are not, don't exist, but they point toward some other thing, right? And then some folks would say the thing about ritual, that ritual signifies something else. Um, whether or not that something else actually exists is a different question. And this is why I said the, earlier that I want to talk about whether or not magic exists. Is there, some, is there actually some sort of efficacy right, in, in Buddhist practice? Um, and I think this is an interesting sort of conversation to have. You know, oh, is, there, is, you know, is something happening? You know, and you know whether we call it magic or something else doesn't. You know, I'm playing with words, but is there some sort of transformative power to these things that we're doing? Um, it's you know, does it work? Whether you call it ritual or practice or whatever else, you know, presumably you're meditating or chanting or reading sutras for some reason. Does it work? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty important question. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's um, maybe another way to think about this too is. Um, we often hear about orthodoxy, proper belief. But often in Buddhism, the more important thing is orthopraxy, mm-hmm. proper practice. Right? And then 
One, one basic thing in Mahayana as well is the awakening the um, bodhicitta, the uh, mind aspiring for enlightenment, simultaneously the mind aspiring to save all beings. Okay? And so it sounds like that's something I have to believe. I have to make that happen inside myself, right? I have to really aspire. I want to be Buddha in my head or in my being. But I learned later that there are like bodhicitta rituals. Right? So in order to become a priest in this certain school, maybe I think Shingon or whatever, you perform this ritual. So that ritual may actually not signify anything. The ritual is the awakening of Buddha mind, whether you believe it or not. It may have absolutely nothing to do with any kind of belief. Right? The ritual does it. Right? So that's why I was wondering about the signify thing. Because um, was there some transmission and the ritual just points to it, or is the ritual the transmission? I mean, I think it's actually not a signification. I don't know with the, that thing. But with the bodhicitta thing, it's an interesting question of asking, you know, do I need to believe that? Is it a question of belief? Or is it a question of practice? It's In this case, practice. ritual practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about the ritual. No, 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 I've no, just no. seen it referred to. I've never yeah, I mean, seen one. Pra- from the point of view of ritual studies and anthropology and whatnot, this is a moot point because what you believe in isn't important. The important thing is to do the ritual. And I think that part of the problem here goes back to this question about the distinction that we're making between ritual and non-ritual things that is inherited from a Protestant critique of Catholicism. Um, and I think that the more appropriate way to look at it is that this question of whether or not you believe something or not is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. The important thing is, is that you do the practice. Right. And, but I don't want to be too glib about that either, though, because um, if, in I, Shinshu... No, no, no. I'm talking about from an academic point okay, of view. Okay, I'm not talking okay. about you know, what okay. ordinary non-nerdy people like me should do in their daily lives. No, but I mean like in terms of the, the bodhicitta ritual... It may have instructions about what are you thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shingon mm-hmm. is about the three acts, right? So it's yes, it's the ritual, the physical stuff, your body posture, the mantras, but it's also what you're doing with your mind. There is a visualization or a meditative aspect to. Yeah, but is that belief? It's what's going on in your head. So I don't know. See, I don't know enough about the specifics specifics of the ritual to say no. It's just the ritual because the ritual may have built into it. Mental I know. Stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. But what I'm what I'm what I'm pointing to is that this this idea of belief, mm-hmm. you know, um, well, that and, means that word means something. Mm-hmm. You know, a belief is something that you believe. You can articulate that. It's. Um, mm-hmm. I'm riffing here, so I don't like, know if I'm going to hold this true or not. Go with it, but it <laughs> but it seems to me that belief has something to do about some sort of declarative rational statement, not rational in the mm-hmm. sense of like. You know, it has any basis in reality, but rational in the sense of like I'm able to articulate it. Whereas um, a visualization is not necessarily about belief; it's about a mental activity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you think about body, speech, and mind acts, you're talking about uh, you know chanting uh, or reciting mantra. You're talking about uh, uh, manipulating your body in a certain way, and you're talking about making your mind do certain things, right? Um, which is interesting to think about because mm-hmm. I don't think that in the way that we ordinarily talk about the mind, we talk about the mind doing things, right? We talk about the mind thinking things. But I think from a certain Buddhist point of view, the mind is also doing things. So rather than doing things that create negative thoughts or doing things that create unwholesome states of mind, you're doing things to create a pure mind, mm-hmm. 
right? Which is not quite the same as belief, mm -hmm. which is not quite the same as belief. So I, again, so I don't know about bodhicitta in, yeah. the, in these rituals, but I think that's an interesting thing to think about is to think about what that means to have a, you know, sort of mental cognition. See, I think belief might be too strict a word. Right. And maybe right, right, right. mental state, um, which may or may not impact the efficacy of the ritual. Right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. in Shinshu, it's a different issue because it becomes a huge issue of practice versus Shinjin mm -hmm. in Shinshu. But that's a bigger question of, is it the saying of the Nembutsu that's important? Or is it the mental state while you're saying it that's important? Right. right. Um, and so the ment if it's the mental state, then maybe you don't even have to say it. And so that seems to put it on an orthodoxy side versus an orthopraxy side, right? Where not necessarily, and I, you know, I don't want to be too strict with those terms, but just that I think is where we can read Shinran as rejecting ritual, quote unquote, because it's your state of mind that's important. Mm -hmm. And that can be read from a Western Protestant, quote unquote, point of view, right? Saying, yeah, so it's not about the ritual at all. It's what I really think and feel and believe. Yeah, I still, I don't know. And so again, <laughs> and so then, yeah, no, I, think, I think you're right, but you know. Of why do we have flowers? Why do we have a candle? Why do we chant? All these questions of, the, of, um, that you hear in like this kind of American history, BCA, um, of First generation coming in, okay, we're going to chant a sutra. Yes, let's chant. Chant. Second generation, third generation, why? <laughs> Questioning it. Wanting to know what's the meaning behind it as opposed to just do it. Right? And so you get all these interesting answers of why we do it that are totally made up. Right? <laughs> um, because the, probably these ministers in America are getting all these annoying questions from these, you know, American, <laughs> Japanese American or whatever people, and they're like, uh, stop asking me. Okay, it's because of this. Like, I just, that's my picture in my head. The wisteria is the classic example of the, um, why Water we have a, the wisteria is our symbol because like the wisteria that hangs down, we want to be humble and bow our heads when we bow to Amida Buddha. No, it's an imperial crest. That doesn't mean that at all, but that is a meaning that has been presented right. as the meaning. And in right. a way, maybe that is the meaning, right? We don't, not in a causal, you know, um, cause-effect kind of way, but right. in a way right. that becomes the meaning. But it's not the original meaning, right? Um, so this is part of the problem. This is part of the issue, right? The, 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 there's a, we're looking for a cause and effect, Mm -hmm. Right, and mm -hmm. this is this is part of how ritual has been studied in Western contexts, where um, there's this assumption, you know, in an earlier generation of, of, of theorists, there's this assumption that oh, people engage in ritual because they believe something, mm -hmm. or they engage in ritual, and then as a result of that, they end up with a particular belief. Um, and more contemporary scholarship will say, no, people just do ritual. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, you know, this idea of signifying, there's no actual thing out there that is being signified. The important thing is you just do the ritual, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is very much like, you know, why are we chanting? Because just chant, you know, Wait, like you don't ask those questions. That's what you do. That's just what we do. Um, and all of these questions about why we do things and looking for meaning and everything else is all after the fact. This is all after the fact, right? Like, you know, and it's, it's, all, it's after the fact and it's looking for rationalizations and justifications for certain kinds of behavior that may or may not have been relevant um, when 
in, in, in terms of the reasons why these rituals exist in the first place. Um, I, th- I think that we very much want there to be meaning and we very much want there to be a reason why we do these things. And, you know, maybe there is. And like you said, assigning meaning to it, I think, is completely awesome. Like, yeah, it's so interesting. Like, like uh, turning the Wisteria crest from an imperial uh, uh, imperial crest into um, some extended metaphor about hanging our heads and, and, and having humility, I think is fantastic. I think that's great. Because, you know what, that's exactly how rituals get started in the first place, is that we as humans are out there looking for meaning and we're trying to like figure out how to live our lives. And so we start doing things and then we're like, Oh, okay, well I'm doing this thing in order to have humility or to affect some change in the world or, you know, reach some sort of higher state of consciousness or to create a stronger community or whatever else, you know, whatever sort of either mundane or spiritual reason, um, which is totally fascinating. It's really, really fascinating to me. I geek out on this stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But the weird thing is, or the interesting thing to sort of throw into this, is that I think that most anthropologists and ritual theorists um, ask these questions with the assumption that there is no underlying meaning, right? A sort of um, uh, atheistic kind of perspective, not uh, in, the, in the strong sense of I don't believe in God, but in the sense of, you know, there's, there is no magic in the world. Right. But what if there is magic? Right. That's what I was saying. <laughs> that's, the, that's the really tricky thing that I think is really interesting to think about is like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can, I can riff off of ritual theory, you know, till I'm blue in the face, but, but, but what if this healing ritual you went to actually had some causative effect in the physical world? Yeah. What if? Yeah. You know, not to say that I necessarily, you know, whatever, but like, let, like, let's like be open to that possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, as a Shin Buddhist and minister, my personal belief is that Amida Buddha, there is some reality to that. I personally believe in Buddha reality. I don't think it's all just social construct. I don't think that um, it's just symbols that we came up with. Right? Um, Amida Buddha is a symbol. It's like, on one level, yes. On another <laughs> level, no. To, to say it's just a symbol, to me, is the arrogance of humanity of saying we understand everything and I, I'm not going to be tricked into thinking that this is, there's some power there. It's like, to me, no, there is a power there. I personally believe, yes, there is um, some deeper level of reality that is compassionate, Right? That, um, that is transformative in the world. Um, how it's manipulated is another question. Like in Shin Buddhism, I think that Shinran does reject the efficacy of ritual for himself. And he's not chanting, and you see this in letters from a Shinni to, her, to Kakushinni or da- their daughter, you know, that he recognizes that when I chant sutras, my intention is not pure enough to generate good merit. So that's not why we do it. And yet I think he did still chant after that, yeah, yeah, but with yeah. a different understanding. And it's, inter- and, and it's interesting that he says that for him it doesn't work, but he's not necessarily saying that it doesn't work, period. Right, right, right. He doesn't reject it like this has never worked since time immemorial. I think he accepts that in the past... There are people. Maybe Honen could do it and it would work. I think Honen would... See, Honen, if you want to look at Shinran and think that he rejects a lot of the magical, quote-unquote, aspects of Shinshu, just look at the Honen Wasans. And I think that Shinran felt he was in the presence of a living Bodhisattva. And that Honen was a manifestation of 
Amida Buddha or Mahastama Prapta or whatever, right? And the, um, so Dobbins, um, James Dobbins in his um, Letters of the Nun Ishini um, goes into this a little bit. And he's trying to imagine a different picture of the worldview of people at the time of Shinran. And that this isn't a rational Enlightenment kind of Enlightenment era, Western idea of Enlightenment yeah. um, kind of religion. That, no, it's a religion steeped in esoteric Buddhism. It's a religion steeped in kami and spirits around you. Um, and that, uh, that that's kind of what it grows out of. Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of grown into that. Like, I kind of accept a lot of that stuff. And I, but I don't want to... And I know some people are turned off by it, actually. Not necessarily from me, but like they really don't feel comfortable with those aspects. And they, Is that a god then? Is that Buddha image a god? We shouldn't have this statue here. And so I'm like... That's one issue that has yeah, to be addressed, yeah, but I'm not going to throw it out either. I don't know better somehow than Shinran or whatever that, um, you know, uh, I, so I, I really personally do kind of um, accept, I'm, I'm into the more magical elements of Mahayana Buddhism, cosmic Buddhas. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but you know, that, yeah. the, 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 the fact is though that you and I, um, we, we watch a lot of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So that probably allows us to be more open to you know weird things. That could be. <laughs> could be. Mm-hmm. I really want there to be Jedi. <laughs> I don't care about Jedi, but I no, want no, magic kidding. to have been real. Yeah, See, yeah I yeah. kind of yeah. wonder if magic actually did work up until a certain point in history, and then like something changed. I mean, that's kind of actually a view of some like the elves going away. Maybe that maybe that comes from being a Tolkien fan from from early on, right? That the world has changed. I think maybe that's how Tolkien felt. Mm-hmm. The elves have left. There was some magic we've in the world. Changed, and we've changed techno- yeah, yeah, technology. Yeah. Technology is the evil, but yeah. we have to accept it. And um, yeah, you know? so I kind of have that view sometimes. Maybe that's part of Mapo, right? That right. that um, the efficacy of the Dharma within Doesn't the human work, realm has yeah. gone down yeah, yeah, because yeah, people yeah. can't. Um, avail themselves of it anymore and yet through Shinshu we do like we're transformed it's not just some psychological rational thing that's happening in Shinshu I don't right, think right. it's that we become more in accord with true Buddha reality and that um, manifests itself in us or, or, or makes contact with us um, and changes the way we interact in our everyday life because we've been touched by it or or it acts through us and except when we're getting in the way our ego is getting in the way or whatever lousy ego yeah (laughs) but um so yeah so i you know and it's interesting because shinshu has a rhetoric built in a kind of an anti-magic rhetoric anti-superstition right but it's based on a cosmic buddha and who made a (laughs) vow to save all beings if they say his name i don't see how that can possibly be rational but it's portrayed as i think we've talked about this before it's portrayed as this is a rational religion to me it's like i don't care about a rational religion i don't want a rational religion. well again you know i think these are categories that we've we're we're applying sort of inexpertly after the fact Mm -hmm. you know without critical awareness of where these terms come from it's like you know adopt book is really interesting i think in terms of you know, I, you know, or what we were saying a second ago again, like Shinran rejects the efficacy of transferring merit for himself, but that doesn't mean that he says that it doesn't exist. Right. And actually, the merit and is transferred to us from Amida Buddha. Right, exactly. But then at the same time, like, uh, you know, it's not like Shinran was sitting around saying, so do you think that there's like, you know, reason versus science? You know, these are <laughs> not conversations yeah. Shinran was having. He's having a completely different discourse, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and the way that we think about the world and the way we understand the world is affected by our own times and locations. So mm-hmm. we kind of have to be aware of that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, to me, it's like, okay. It doesn't mean our questions aren't valid. Right. But we also have to be aware of these aren't the questions that were being asked by Shinran. Right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, then to, to come into a modern context and say, oh, well, you know, we want a, a rational religion, so I'm going to get rid of all the superstition. It's like, well, okay, what do, you, what do you mean by rational? What do you mean by religion? What do you mean by superstition? I mean, you know, where do these terms come from? What are you really bothered by? What is it that is actually um, of concern? I think that's, for me, that's the thing. It's like, you know, people sort of want to throw away certain aspects of religion. And it's like, okay, well, why? What's the mm -hmm. reason for that? Mm -hmm. Because if we figure out the reason you want to do that, then we could say, oh, okay, well, you're really concerned actually about this other thing over here, which is not really an issue for us. So mm -hmm. it's cool. It's cool, man. <laughs> so I think in a way, um, what we're trying to do in the Dharma Realm podcast is the Buddhist work of trying to figure out what's behind why we get upset by things, trying to get behind what we see as um, stereotypes or, you know, um, uh, you know, things that get in the way of yeah. understanding how things may be. Things really that get in the are. way of magic. Thank you.